It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. And I appreciate patrons of the program like Lisbeth, JF, Leslie, Josh, Lisa, Jolene, WC, Caddy, David, and Mark, I appreciate the support. They became patrons to the program. You can as well. Just go to the PeteCallenerShow.com, click on the link at the top, and uh, that'll take you to the Patreon account uh, where you get exclusive content and you get uh, the swag, you get the stickers suitable for framing or just slapping on a car or a laptop or somebody else's car or laptop. Uh, look, I'm not here to judge. I'm just throwing out you know, potential places to put stickers. Um, all right, so the longtime Senate president pro tem of the North Carolina State Senate, Mark Basnight, passed away the other day. And uh, I'm going to spend some time talking about him and the machine he led and the coverage and the reaction that I'm seeing in North Carolina <laughs> that is... Uh, I, you know, it's, I know it's, it's such an easy game to play. What if it was a Republican and, uh, it, we, and the reason we play it is because it's fun, but it's also frustrating and infuriating. It's sort of gallows humor. Um, and it is a double standard. So we're going to get into that. Uh, now what you need to get into is CBD oil because I look, I started taking a couple of these drops before I go to bed and I sleep more deeply now than I ever have before in my life. I was always a light sleeper. I would wake up with my mind racing. I would lay down in bed and it would take me, you know, an hour to fall asleep because my mind just would not shut off. And CBD oil, I've been using it now for uh, probably about eight months, six months, eight months in that time frame. And uh, I've, I've noticed the difference. I was just uh, swapping emails with uh, Nick, who's a listener and a patron, and uh, he's now using Growers Hemp Full Spectrum Hemp Extract. He's added it to his r daily routine. I have it in my daily routine, and Growers Hemp is North Carolina-based. These are North Carolina family farmers, and they uh, said, you know what, why don't we get into the hemp industry, and we can do this better and we can provide a living for our families, but also help you help us on our wellness journey. So they control the whole process from seed to shelf, and that means you get a better quality at a lower price. And you're helping North Carolina farmers. Growershemp.com, and if you use the promo code PETE at checkout, you will get 20% off. Growers Hemp, from North Carolina farmers to your home, Growers Hemp is about the hemp and not the hype. Now, as with all CBD products, here's the official disclaimer government requires. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, and the efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA-approved research. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Nothing I have said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your healthcare provider. Please consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. But the product I use is Growers Hemp, full spectrum hemp extract. And again, growershemp.com, promo code Pete for 20% off. So, Mark Basnight, uh, for folks who are new to the state of North Carolina, <laughs> and by new, I mean within the last 10 years, uh, you don't know who Mark Basnight was. And uh, I think it's usually pretty evident whenever I'm in a discussion with somebody in the North Carolina politics Twitter hashtag world, which, by the way, if you are on Twitter or if you do care about North Carolina politics, I I do recommend that you get on Twitter and um, follow the hashtag NCPOL, NC politics, NCPOL, uh, because you will see people from all over the state and, you know, all over the country, actually, uh, who are engaged in uh, North Carolina-related politics, they go there and they argue, they post stories, uh, press releases and the like. And so you can keep up to date, but you can also hear what people are saying. And then you'll see news stories that run the next day based on stuff that's happening on Twitter. So this is one of the things that people always dismiss about Twitter. Oh, because this, you know, there's not a lot of people on it as a social media platform when you measure it against other social media platforms. And that is true. However, it sort of punches up above its weight class, you know, 
because the people who are on Twitter, these are the influencers, if you will. These are the people that are in government, in media. These are people that craft policies, have influence over public opinion, and they're all in Twitter, and they are all on the North Carolina politics hashtag. So reading some of the effusive praise and admiration for Mark Basnight, and to a large extent, uh, I know that that's going to, that's expected, I understand, and I did not go on there and, you know, bash him or his family, and I do offer my sincere condolences. He died of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, which is an awful disease, and I don't wish harm on anybody, and I don't wish harm on him and his family, and I, I you know, recognize the accomplishments that the man had in his life. Um, however, I am kind of grossed out a little bit at the way people are uh, are fawning over him. And uh, here's why. <clears throat> because when I first started covering politics in North Carolina as a reporter in Charlotte, and I was mainly focused on city and county and school policy and the like, uh, but that then exposed me to North Carolina policy and law, because so much of in North Carolina, we're sort of a mother's may I or sorry, mother may I state, um, which means everything that the locals want to do, you got to ask the state for permission. The state is the 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 wellspring of authority, right? The seminal source of authority in North Carolina. And so uh, they can disband a city if they want to. They can just rip up a charter if the state wants to. They're that powerful. So uh, you when you're covering city, state or city, county and school policy and, and local government meetings, you run into state regulations very early on. And then you start paying attention to the state level. And over the last 20 years, I've paid a lot of attention to state-level politics. And the first decade that I was doing so, Mark Basnight was in charge. He was the Senate president pro tem. And he's now described in these obituary pieces as the most powerful state legislator in North Carolina history. And he died at the age of 73. He died peacefully, surrounded by family after a long battle with ALS, that according to the News and Observer story. Uh, he uh, had a restaurant called the Lone Cedar Cafe in, and down uh, at the Outer Banks, at the coast, and uh, he would always be hanging out there and people would go in and they would be able to talk with him and he loved talking with people and he would make the commute to Raleigh and he would stop at all of these restaurants and gas stations along the way to talk with regular people and all that. And he was a people person and he definitely had the retail politics thing down, right? He definitely understood it and did it well. He could read people, but he was also a brutal politician. He was a machine boss. Okay, that's what he was. And the expressions of admiration and praise for him, like I said, it it's kind of it's kind of gross. Especially when I know that the same people that are offering up these expressions would be ripping garments and marching on the legislature if these kinds of activities were engaged in by the current president pro tem Phil Berger, a Republican. So by the way, Phil Berger, along with um, two former U.S. senators, um, Governor Roy Cooper, Attorney General Josh Stein, right? They all issued uh, their statements, you know, expressing sadness and remembering Baz Knight's work and offering his uh, family their prayers. And Governor Cooper ordered flags to be lowered to half staff until sunset on New Year's Day to honor Mark Baz Knight. Um, but I think it's important for folks who may not be aware of the history and who Mark Basnight was, because right now all you're hearing is that Mark Basnight, most powerful legislator, and he, oh, by the way, he was a Democrat, which seems, I don't know, important to this story. <laughs> uh, but everybody's just kind of praising him and the life he led and what a great guy. And he got a lot of attention to the outer banks and all of this. Uh, and all of that, it, all that may be true, but it kind of glosses over what made him so powerful. So we're going to get into that. So just going through, this is, I've got the News and Observer story. I've got a piece of Carolina Journal. I've got Thomas Mills from ncpolitics.com. Got an excerpt from a book by Rob Christensen. 
uh, and this will help fill out some of the details of Mark Baznight. So uh, from the News and Observer story, this is by Rob Christensen and Danielle Battaglia. Uh, governors, U.S. senators, university presidents, and cabinet secretaries, they all came and went. But Baznight was a constant, a poorly educated, inarticulate Eastern North Carolina country boy to whom the high and mighty paid court. No state budget passed without his approval during his unprecedented 18 years as Senate leader. Buildings rose from the red clay soil on college campuses at his command. After losing his wife to cancer, the UNC Cancer Hospital was erected. Descending from generations of outer bankers, he made sure that millions of dollars were poured into protecting clean water. He didn't do it alone. He was country shrewd. He lived and breathed politics, helping elect governors and lawmakers, chatting up customers at his restaurant, bullying bureaucrats, and learning to read people like a book. By the way, do you think that if he were a Republican, do you think that the bullying bureaucrats might, I don't know, be featured a little bit more prominently in some of these obituaries? I notice how many people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he was this you know, mountain of a man, and he was this huge leader and impactful lawmaker in North Carolina. I don't hear any stories about, man, that guy, he chewed out some poor intern. (laughs) You're not hearing any of those stories. And I understand, I get it. The man just passed away. And so there's, there is, you know, this grace period, I understand. And there are like, I don't, I don't engage in attacks on people who have passed away, and that's not my intent here. My intent here is to give you a fuller picture of how this guy ran North Carolina politics and how we're still kind of dealing with it now. And uh, the machine that he was in charge of, it's not gone, okay? In fact, our governor and attorney general are still part of that same machine. It's their machine now, okay? So people who have just arrived in North Carolina within the last decade, they may not know this. They just think, oh, these Republicans are in charge. Ooh, I hate Republicans. And gerrymandering. You want to talk about gerrymandering? Holy Toledo. Anyway, Baz Knight entered politics in 1977, according to the News and Observer, as a member of the State Transportation Board and a fundraiser for Democratic Governor Jim Hunt. In 1984, he was elected into the state Senate. They call him a barrel-chested, squinty-eyed former high school fullback. Baz Knight moved up quickly. He worked hard. He had a gift for getting along with people and instinctively understood how to make the political system work. By the way, this is one of the things I've said for, uh, for years, which is that politics is all about relationships. It really is. And people who are good at that usually end up being good at politics. Long-range thinking was not his long suit, but he w- uh, he could count votes. Uh, sorry, few could count votes like Baz Knight. Okay, so here's so Baz Knight is this big time. You know, he's a donor, he's a fundraiser, he's into the Democratic uh, politics. He's from the Outer Banks, and uh, he then gets tapped to be on the State Transportation Board. And I'm sure it was because of his fundraising abilities. Uh, I'm sure it was because of his relationship with an oil tycoon that got him into politics in the first place. Um, But here's what happened. When he gets in in 1984, uh, Democrats control everything. Uh, And then in 1988, a Republican wins the race for lieutenant governor. A guy by the name of Jim Gardner. He is the first Republican to win that seat, that office, and like ever, like since Reconstruction, <laughs> since the Civil War. Democrats have run this state since the Civil War. Only for the last 10 years have Republicans run the state. Okay, so for 150 years, the Democrats were in control. Okay, uh, and 1988. The election of Jim Gardner to the post of lieutenant governor uh, sets about uh, change. Namely, they strip him of his responsibilities. Why? Because the lieutenant governor was the one who ran the state Senate. There was actually some authority and some powers in that position. Nowadays, it's it's largely ceremonial. The position is kind of what you make it because the powers have been stripped away. So this was 
Remember when Governor Cooper got elected in 2016? And remember how Republicans tried to strip away a bunch of his authority? They limited the people he could hire, right? They changed the makeup of the Board of Elections. They did all these things to try to undermine the governor's power. And uh, people in the media and in the North Carolina politics hashtag community, they were all, oh my gosh, I can't believe Republicans would do such a thing. Like, well, why not? Democrats did this to the lieutenant governor in 88. And the people who are now in charge, particularly, um, you know, in the Senate, Phil Berger was in the Senate with Mark Basnight. Okay, Berger was the Republican leader while Basnight was running the show. Okay, so Berger saw all the dirty tricks that were played. He's aware of this stuff. Most Republicans in the legislature are aware of the way Democrats ran things when they were in charge. So this um, this outrage from these Democrats that, oh, my gosh, I can't believe the Republicans would try to curtail the power of the sitting governor now or the the newly elected Democratic governor. Um, they're they're forgetting their own history, very recent history. They stripped power away from the lieutenant governor because they didn't want him to be. Uh, in charge of a branch of the legislature, the uh, uh, the state Senate. So they strip away this power from Jim Gardner and they give it to the Senate president pro tem. And then Mark Basnight becomes president pro tem. And from that position, uh, he is then able to create and amass a massive power structure. Governors did not get elected without him. People who ran for statewide office did not get elected without him. He built this farm system. And, uh, well, here, this is the News and Observer. Basnight built the state's last powerful Democratic machine. His protégés include former Governor Bev Perdue, former U.S. Senator Kay Hagan, former Lieutenant Governor Walter Dalton, who, Walter Dalton, that uh, was from his ad. Anyway, he was also instrumental in getting Mike Easley elected governor, and he played a role, an important role, in making sure that Erskine Bowles became UNC president. Okay. Uh, Roy Cooper was also in the Senate under Bass Knight's tutelage, as was Josh Stein, so, the Attorney General. So all of the, Dem- the well, not all of them, but the Democratic Party has been running this kind of farm system machine politics for a very long time. And just because Republicans were able to win the General Assembly in 2010, and just because Pat McCrory was able to become, what, the second Republican governor, or sorry, third Republican governor ever elected since Reconstruction for one term, right? Just because Republicans were able to do that, it doesn't mean that the Democratic machine died. Just somebody else is in charge. It just looks a little bit different now. Um, here's something different, getting your house sold fast and for more money. If that sounds different than the experience you've had when you've sold your house in the past or you're selling your house right now and nobody is buying it, then you need a new real estate agent. And that would be Rowena Patton. Uh, she and her all-star powerhouse team, they get houses sold faster and for more money. This is what they do. Rowena outsells 99% of the realtors in the entire state. She's the only Homes for Heroes real estate agent in Asheville. This is a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions. This goes to police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, educators, and members of the military, so veterans, active duty, and uh, retirees. Uh, She's given back about $800,000 so far to folks in those five professions. So, I don't know why you would go with any other real estate agent buying or selling. The only agent to call, the only one I called, Rowena Patton and the all-star powerhouse team, 333-4483. The website is mountainhomehunt.com. Give her a call and then start packing like Governor Cooper's doing to the Court of Appeals today. I'll get to that. I promise I will get to that later. Um, It has to do with some moves afoot in the General Assembly. But Mark Basnight, the uh, 18-year... President pro tem of the Senate, arguably the most powerful lawmaker in North Carolina history. He wielded extraordinary power through the caucus, the Democratic caucus, so that Democratic governors came to him in order to get their programs approved. Um, this is part of the obituary for uh, for Mark Basnight, written by the News and Observer. 
Bass Knight said he did not have a political philosophy. He operated issue by issue based on his gut instincts. His record was supportive of public education, the environment, and developing the poor areas of the state. He described himself as a conservative, acknowledged voting across party lines for Senator Jesse Helms, and he said he was pro-life on the abortion issue. Um, You can't get elected now with that kind of record in the Democratic Party. Right. You, you would not be able to win election in a Democratic primary um, if you have that kind of a uh, political stance. Could you imagine a Democrat saying that they voted for Tom Tillis, <laughs> let alone Jesse Helms, but Tom Tillis or Richard Burr or Donald Trump? Right. Any Republican. Baz Knight also took home a huge amount of political pork to his eight county district, which is the size of Connecticut. Meandering country roads, including U.S. 64 264 and 158 all blossomed into four-lane highways. At least four new prisons were built in his district. A $16 million aquarium near Manteo, a $12 million museum on the Elizabeth City waterfront, and a $1 million bike trail for the town of Manteo are all part of his legacy. His legacy. He used taxpayer funds from around the state to puff up and beef up infrastructure and amenities in his district. What was the Highway 64 called? Baz Knight's driveway, right? Because he would <laughs> he would drive he would drive these roads to Raleigh and he's like, "Oh, it takes too long, so let me go ahead and widen this road to four lanes and uh, you know, basically make it into an interstate all the way to the coast." And that's what he did, and everybody who has been here longer than 10 years knows that for the better part of the last, I don't know, 30 years, that the money has gone to the coast. The money has gone to the eastern part of this state. That's Folks in western North Carolina are well aware of that. Um, so Bass Knight uh, also would push state agencies to hire local people. There's a word for that, by the way. Patronage is the word for that. See, it's amazing how uh, in the obituary, you finally hear some of the things like I've been saying this stuff for years, right? If you've been listening to this program, you've been listening to me on the radio, uh, you know I've been talking about the way the Democratic machine operated in North Carolina. It was built on a spoil system where people got jobs uh, based on who won the office, right? And if you donated money to political campaigns, you got jobs. That's patronage. That's what he was doing. People got jobs in the state government, in the university systems, in the county governments, municipal governments, at every step along the way, right? There were patronage jobs, and people then would get employed by the local government or state government. They would draw a paycheck off of state taxpayers or local taxpayers. That money would then be donated by the person who got the job. They would donate the money to political campaigns of the Democrats who got them the jobs. This is why it was considered to be and is considered to be a money laundering operation, right? You take the money from the taxpayer, you give it to this employee that you gave the job to, so this way they could donate some of that taxpayer money back to you. And then everybody's everyone's happy. <laughs> um, he could be both charming and he had an explosive temper. We get no examples of that, by the way, though. No examples of his explosive temper. Nobody talks about any of that. Because, like, I can understand you could be charming and you get stuff done that way in politics. But an explosive temper might also scare people, don't you think? If you're if you're wielding this power that everyone's like, oh, my gosh, he wielded the power, but he did it for the environment. And so it was OK. Like, that's essentially the the. Uh, the messaging that has been going on for the last 24 to 48 hours here in North Carolina with this guy, that it's all been, it's all okay because the ends justify the means. All of this is simply to say the people who have been crying about the way the Republicans uh, govern, they don't really care. They care that it's the Republicans. They don't care about the way that the power is wielded. They care who is wielding it. The same thing as we're I'm going to go over this with Governor Cooper's appointment today of Darren Jackson to the state court of appeals and just goes to show 
Democrats don't really care about the argument that they're asserting when they're saying, oh, my gosh, the Republicans are you know, politicizing the judiciary. They don't care about that argument. They don't care about the politicization of the judiciary. They care that someone else is doing it. They didn't care about redistricting, gerrymandering. They care if the Republicans are doing it. That's what all of this is always about. What does it mean? It means that their arguments are fraudulent, and they always have been. And people who have been paying attention for longer than five years on a political beat covering these people for longer than five years, you know this because you saw them adopt the exact opposite positions when they had the power. Okay, back to the story. Pity the state official who Bass Knight felt was not being responsive. His feuds were famous with Easley and with Dana Cope, the former executive director of the State Employees Association, among others. That's it. That's all we get. These the the feuds were famous, but we get no we get no um examples of these famous feuds. I don't know why. Critics panned his legislative trickery. They panned it. Panned? You know, his critics were outraged, livid, such as in 2005 when he scheduled a key lottery vote when two wavering Republican opponents were out of town. Yeah, that's dirty dealing. Again, another example. Remember Darren Jackson, House Minority Leader, and all of the Democrats that were so outraged when the House Speaker Tim Moore, Republican, brought forth the veto override a couple of months back, about a year ago now. Remember Deb Butler? I will not yield, Mr. Speaker! Remember they refused to stop shouting from the floor? And actually, if they had stopped shouting and just left, they wouldn't have had a quorum and then the vote would not have occurred. But because they were in full tantrum mode, screaming their full heads off, uh, they remained on the floor of the chamber, thereby preserving the quorum, thereby allowing the Republicans to vote to override the governor's veto of the budget, right? That's... That's what they were screaming about. How dare you do this thing while we are here? This is the same party, the same people that had no problem pushing through the lottery in the dead of night while people were out of the country. Right. They, 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 they literally scheduled the vote for when people couldn't be there. Called the called the House and the Senate back into session. Jim Black held a literally a midnight session in order to push through Governor. Be- now, um, well, she was then um, uh, in charge of the Senate. She cast the deciding vote for the um, for the lottery, and she ran for governor. Bev Perdue, one of Baz Knight's guys or gals, um, like this is how the political machine operated up until the Republicans won in 2010 and took all and took control in 2011. So, you know, spare me the, oh, the Democrats are taking the righteous position here. They're not. They're just taking the opposite position from the one they've always held. And they're hypocrites for doing it. They don't care about the argument. They care about the power. Okay, the the corruption and the dirty dealing that was going on when the Democrats ruled the uh, the the General Assembly and the governor's mansion for, you know, over a century was obvious and blatant. As blatant as this segue into general equipment rental, uh, they have all of the tools that you need for whatever project you are looking to do. Air tools, compressors, scaffolding, large power tools, small power tools, medium size, the ones that are a little bit bigger than medium, but not too big that you would consider them to be large. Like basically all of the tools, basically everything. Okay, I learned this a long time ago. Working on a car, working on a house, working on really anything, you need the right tools to get the job done quickly, efficiently, and effectively. If you don't have the right tool, it just makes everything worse. So go to General Equipment Rental and get the right tool for the job, and then bring it back. And if you're not really sure what tool you might need, they'll help you with that. And if you're not really sure how to use the tool that you need, they will help you with that. They want you to be completely prepared for the job at hand, okay? So uh, also, if you are interested in getting some power equipment to own, they are your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. So go to General Equipment Rental in Weaverville for all of your equipment rental needs. GeneralRents.com. Check them out online. GeneralRents.com. And think outside your toolbox. So Baz Knight took home a bunch of political pork to his district, and they loved him for it. People in the Outer Banks loved him for it. 
And a lot of Democrats loved him for it, too, because he would also spread some of that love around to them in their districts. When Republicans won control of the legislature in November 2010, it ended Baz Knight's run. In January 2011, so right after, he announced he was resigning his seat and he was facing a motor neuron disease that affected his balance and his speaking and which later was diagnosed as Lou Gehrig's disease or ALS, a fatal neuromuscular disease. And that was January 2011. Uh, almost a decade later, he passed away. So uh, here's an example of some of the I mentioned uh, some of the love that he would spread around to other districts that needed some help for various political reasons and such. I mean, I'm sorry, all for the constituents, you see, all for the people. This is from 2005. North Carolina Department of Transportation Secretary Lindo Tippett has diverted millions of dollars that could have been used for documented highway safety needs and sent it to projects selected by legislative leaders. Okay, so think of that. Millions of dollars that were supposed to go to safety improvements on the roads were instead diverted by legislative leaders to pet projects that they preferred. According to the law, to state law, the DOT secretary is to approve all projects financed from a $15 million annual contingency fund. This is, by the way, when Governor uh, Pat McCrory, well, then Mayor Pat McCrory, when he ran for governor, this was one of the things he ran on, getting the politics out of the DOT. And we're going to you know, build roads and do projects where the needs are and where the people are rather than where the politicians want them to be, want the projects to be. And this was why. This is the kind of stuff that was going on for decades in North Carolina. DOT records and interviews show that for the past few years, Lindo Tippett, the DOT secretary, gave $5 million each year to the Speaker of the House and the President pro tem of the Senate to spend on projects they chose. Representative Jim Black, who went to federal prison over corruption uh, a few years after this story was published at the Carolina Journal, uh, but for a different thing, by the way, he, he went he, different corruption. Uh, he did not go down for this. He went down for something else. Um, and Senator Mark Basnight, Democrat from Dare. County. Uh, a Carolina Journal review of DOT spending raises two important questions. Why would Tippett fund non-safety projects before documented safety-related projects? And perhaps more importantly, why would Governor Mike Easley allow Tippett to maintain $5 million checking accounts for Black and Baznight? Despite repeated requests by Carolina Journal, Tippett and Easley refused to answer questions or provide documents authorizing the discretionary funds controlled by Black and Baznight. So in this story here by, I believe this is Don Carrington, let me check. Yeah, Don Carrington, in July of 2004, Tippett approved 200K from the, uh, the account to restore a terminal building at Wilmington Airport for a welcome center. Uh, then in March 2005, he approved another 50 grand for the same project. July 2004, he approved 150K from the Senate President Pro Tem's account to purchase and renovate a Tabor City service station for a welcome center. In January 2004, Tippett approved 130K each from the Speaker's account and the Senate Leader's account for upgrades at the Anson County Airport. May 2004, another quarter million dollars uh, from his own $5 million account to resurface the pavement at the Elizabethtown Airport. A file notation indicates that Senator Tony Rand requested the project. Tony Rand, uh, who was Baz Knight's right-hand man, he passed away as well this year. He was a Democrat from Cumberland County. Rand, Baz Knight, Black, Easley, Hunt, Cooper, Purdue, all of these folks were part of the machine. If you think the machine is dismantled, you're delusional, okay? And today's uh, news about the court packing, because I'm old enough to remember when Democrats were opposed to court packing, the court packing that was just done today by Governor Cooper is the prime example of how the machine operates. These and other projects are summarized on a DOT report, contingency funds report by source and, re and request. Um, as of March 1st, 2005, there were 116 projects that were approved and charged to this fund. And uh, column headings include 
the secretary, the speaker, or the president pro tem. So they each had $5 million in funds. They each had their own little checking account. The, the, uh, the DOT secretary, the speaker of the house, and the president pro tem. But it was Tippett, the DOT secretary, he's the one who always had to do the approvals. So everything had to go through him. And so you're telling me Easley didn't know about that? The governor didn't know about that? Of course he knew about that. This is how they, this is how they gave money to their political friends and allies and how they made political allies and friends, right? This, these are slush funds. That's the purpose, is to gain power, retain power, keep your friends happy, pay off projects and stuff that help them win re-election, help them get, you know, the halo effect in their communities. And yes, you can say, oh, it helped the community that it was built in. Sure. But they're still using it as slush funds for their own personal benefit. That's how the machine operates. Think now about the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. That's slush fund. Or the Smithfield Settlement. That's slush fund. This is how the Democrat machine has operated for decades. It hasn't stopped operating this way either. I feel like I'm a broken record just repeating this, but I feel like it's important (laughs) that there seem to be a great many people, unfortunately, a lot of them in the press corps that don't have any recollection of how things operated when they had the power, when Democrats had the power. The North Carolina Constitution states that the executive power of the state shall be vested in the governor and the governor shall administer the budget. The Constitution contains no provisions for legislators to direct the spending of funds that have been appropriated. Right. In other words, what these guys were doing was unconstitutional. In now get this. This was the second time they got caught doing this. This was 05, what I just went through. This was 05. But in 1997... They were also busted for running a $21 million discretionary fund that lawmakers had set up in the Office of State Budget and Management. Mark Basnight and the Speaker of the House at that time, Harold Brubaker, they would each control 45% of the money, and then Governor Jim Hunt got the remaining 10%. And then they all doled out the money how they saw fit there. When questioned about the practice in February of 1997, Basnight said, quote, you got me thinking. Somehow or other, you got to help these areas in the state that need the money, but it shouldn't be left in my hands to decide or the speaker's hands to decide. See, so he's like, oh, yeah, you got me thinking maybe this isn't the best way to do it. Oh, he had no idea. See, thank goodness the media finally caught him because he never would have known. But here's the thing. Baznight, after he was uh, confronted with this in February of 97... <laughs> Fast forward to July of 97, he was still doling out money. And you know who he gave $75,000 to? Roy Cooper. (laughs) Senator Roy Cooper. 1997. Going back even further then. Baznight believes unitemized spending should not be part of the budget process, said spokeswoman Amy Folk in an email. Most of the Senate-related projects, about 90% of them, had been itemized in the Senate's budget bill. Senator Basnight was unaware that these projects and the approximately half a million dollars in other unitemized allocations were not specifically listed in the final bill. But according to sources close to the final state budget discussions between the House and the Senate leaders, say that Basnight's aide negotiated the final terms of the compromise. Basnight made a similar claim of ignorance in a News and Observer article after he testified before a grand jury about the scandal surrounding the John A. Hyman Memorial Youth Foundation, which was led by former state senator Frank Balance. Basnight had said that he did not know about the state-funded foundation until news stories of its problems were reported in 2003. But Basnight, a year prior, had actually arranged for the Hyman Foundation to receive $140,000 from the State Department of Health and Human Services. It's a slush fund. It has always operated as a slush fund. He knew it. He said he didn't know it, but he did, and he kept doing it. And then he got caught eight years later in 2005 again and used the same BS I didn't know explanation. This is what he did. It's how the machine operates. It's why the Smithfield settlement money just went through the Court of Appeals and they just said, no, you can't be taking this money and spending it on stuff 
outside of the constitutional parameters, you never had any right to do this. It's just like the Atlantic Coast Pipeline that Cooper tried to squeeze out the money from the Duke and Dominion uh, energy companies to try to, what, fund projects in counties that would be affected by the pipeline. He wanted it for environmental groups and such. He wanted it for economic development, and he wanted to control it. This is how they operate. They don't want the money being run through the legislature through a budget bill. They don't want things to be spelled out so everybody can see. They don't want processes in place. They want to be able to use the money to buy favors and votes. That's the purpose of a slush fund. And that's what they were running for decades. Right. Going back into the 90s now. We're now three decades. So all of these people who are like, oh, wow, Mark Baznight, he really knew how to wield that power. Uh huh. Yeah, he sure did. And if you're praising him for doing it, then I know that all your arguments about Republicans wielding power and even not even to the extent that Baznight did, that all of your arguments aren't about the power. It's about the people. Right. It's about the party. You just don't like the Republicans having the power. Now, you have the power to go to Mattress Man right now. You really do. You just go into any of the four locations in Asheville and Arden and Hendersonville. You can also go to the website. That's within your power as well. And then you will have the power to get great deals on mattresses. Okay, like 50% off the 2920 Sleep Mattress. Queen sizes that sell for over 1000 now just $547.50. You've got the king size that sells for almost 1300 half off at six forty seven fifty. These are wild supplies. Last, take one home today. Uh, also, give the gift of a great night's sleep to yourself. You can save up to 60% on select floor models and in-stock inventory. Just go on over to Mattress Man and let the sleep consultants help you pick the right mattress for you. Maybe it's the Biltmore mattress from Restonic. The Biltmore collection sold exclusively at Mattress Man stores. Bring the luxury of Biltmore home to your bedroom. Okay, these are the mattresses that are at the inn and the hotel on the Biltmore Estate. Christy and I bought our mattress from Mattress Man years ago before they ever advertised with us. We love their mattresses. We love the business. We love the business model. Uh, they're great people with great products. So if you want to support the businesses that help support this show, uh, go to Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com. They have five-star local delivery service. They ship nationwide, and they have a 120-day comfort guarantee. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. So Thomas Mills at ncpolitics.com had a, a, a good piece today, or yesterday rather, um, where he said that Baz Knight essentially created the position of Senate President Pro Tem as it is today, and he transformed the way the legislative campaigns are run in this state. A couple of weeks ago, I uh, actually interviewed Stephen Wiley, and he is the director of the North Carolina Republican House Caucus, right? Uh, and so his job is to help Republicans win legislative races. And it's sort of like the, you know, up at the congressional level, you got the DCCC or the Republican Senatorial Committee and stuff like that. They, they These are run by the leaders of the parties in those chambers, and they go out and they find candidates and they... They run ads in support of candidates. It's a way that that um, the party bosses can uh, can get involved in primaries without the party having to get involved in the primaries. Does that make sense? So this system was first implemented by Mark Basnight. Up until 1989, he says that... Um, uh, before Baz Knight got there, most legislative campaigns ran their own operations, even if money was directed from lobbyists and other members to certain candidates. In 1996, though, all of that changed after the wave election in 1994 left Democrats with only a two-seat majority. Baz Knight then introduces the modern caucus system that both professionalized legislative campaigns and shifted the way money was spent. Instead of direct donations, a professional caucus operation offered services like polling, targeting, and communications. Once again, what is this? It's an example of how Baz Knight wanted control over the money, right? It's the golden rule. He that controls the gold makes the rules, right? That was the point. It's the same point with the slush funds. He was biased towards the outer banks when the state four-laned Highway 64 
People called it Mark Baznight's driveway. Right. That's what I said. Projects and money flowed to the northeast corner of the state when he was in power, helping it become a tourist destination and playground for the rich and famous. Now, Rob Christensen wrote a book called The Paradox of North Carolina Politics. And Rob Christensen was a longtime political reporter for the Raleigh News and Observer. And in this book, he says, quote, in the 1990s, the power fulcrum shifted across the state from Madison County in in the western part to the Outer Banks, the home of North Carolina Senate leader Mark Basnight, a Mantio re- restaurant owner who rose in politics as a lieutenant in Jim Hunt's political organization. Basnight garnered even more influence than Ramsey, who was Liston Ramsey, who was the Speaker of the House in North Carolina from 1981 to 1989. Um, he was uh, in office since, like, from 1960 all the way to 1999. Madison County representative. Um, in fact, this is kind of interesting. So Liston Ramsey. He was an ally of Zeno and E.Y. Ponder and their political machine, the Ponder uh, Ponder Brothers political machine, which ran Madison County from the 1950s through the 1980s. And they would rig the elections. And oh, yeah, I mean, just completely corrupt all the jobs the you know had to be uh, uh, approved by the Ponders. This was, you know, city and county jobs and all of that. Um, this was what they call a courthouse machine or a courthouse click, which means it's the uh, county level public officials that are running the operation. OK. And, you know, for people who are like, oh, but that was so long ago. Uh, again, the Ponder machine was operating through the 80s. That's 30 years ago. That's 30 years ago. And Liston Ramsey was in office until 99. So. 20 years ago, (laughs) the Baznight organization, this is according to Rob Christensen, the Baznight organization was the last political machine in North Carolina that was still operating by 2007. That was 13 years ago. I would submit that the Baznight machine was actually still running through Bev Perdue's administration. And I would submit that the machine, no longer Baznight's machine, though, at that point, still running today because governor roy cooper was part of it as well and now he's in power who do you think is in charge of the machine now it's roy why do you think he's bringing in all the money from out of state right why do you guys roy cooper josh stein these guys were lieutenants in baz knight's machine baz knight was a lieutenant in jim hunt's machine it hasn't like the people change but the machine remains Need proof? I'll give you some in a minute. First, let me tell you about Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Of course, Old Grouch's Military Surplus, downtown Clyde. Uh, It is now cold weather season, in case you weren't aware, in case you haven't been outside because of all of the COVID restrictions. (laughs) But it is cold outside. Pick up some military-grade thermal underwear, military field jackets uh, in solid green and camo, wool sweaters, Wool and fleece, toboggan, socks, Gore-Tex jackets. If uh, if you're a hunter, if you're a hiker, if you're a camper, if you work outside, you need this equipment. You need this gear, this clothing, and you need it cheaper than you're going to find it at most outdoor stores. This is top quality stuff. It's U.S. military surplus and uh, all made to U.S. specs. So you can also make your emergency kit for your vehicle. Uh, can you imagine sliding off the road uh, with some of that weather that we just had last week? Right. Slide off the road in your car. Then what? Right. If you've got an emergency kit, you're going to be prepared for just that kind of a scenario. Go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus on Main Street, downtown Clyde. The shop is open Monday through Saturday across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. Ask him uh, about the story behind that. It's a great story, too. Uh, Also at oldgrouch.com. And of course, tell him that you heard it here uh, on the podcast. I appreciate that. So here you go. Proof that the machine is still operating today. Two big announcements that occurred. Number one was uh, there's a state senator in the Wake County area in Wake County, Sam Searcy, and he announces that he's going to uh, be resigning his seat. He just won re-election, but he's going to resign his seat. And uh, he wants to put in place uh, Sidney Batch, who lost her election in November for a House seat in the same 
area. And as Brent Woodcox points out, he's a Republican lawyer for Senator Phil Berger's office. He says appointing the one Democrat in Wake County who managed to lose an election in 2020 to the most competitive Senate seat in the county. It's a bold strategy. (laughs) We'll see how that works for them. Um, So that's one, right? He's going to step aside and everybody thinks that Sam Searcy is going to, he's going to take another post someplace in the Cooper administration, or he's looking to run for U.S. Senate. Well, we shall see. Um, But he's going to, but what what are they doing? They've lined up a a successor for him in the one Democrat who lost, Sidney Batch in Wake County. So she's going to get, so even though she loses and people say no to her, yay, she still gets to represent them. <laughs> this, but she'll move over to the state Senate. That's, that, that's just one minor example, and you can say that's not proof of the machine. And okay, fine, but it just happened today as well as State Representative Darren Jackson. He is, or was, until after the election uh, results were all tallied, and then he announced he would not be seeking uh, re-election to the post of House Minority Leader. In the, in the North Carolina House, right, you got the Speaker of the House, the Majority Leader, and then you have the uh, Minority Leader. So the Democrats are in the minority, and he is their leader, has been for years, and he said, I'm not going to do that anymore, which I took that at the time to mean that, yeah, you shouldn't do that anymore because you lost, right? If you're the guy in charge of getting more Democrats elected and you end up doing the opposite, <laughs> getting them defeated, then chances are you need some new leadership. But no, apparently they had lined this up so Darren Jackson could resign his House Minority Leadership post and then resign to take the appointment on the North Carolina Court of Appeals. Darren Jackson is a lawyer, true enough, but as far as I know, has no experience as a judge. He is now going to be on the North Carolina Court of Appeals, a man who was in the legislature running point for the Democratic Party on all of the political maneuverings and machinations and policy debates. You know, he was the guy who was out there accusing Republicans of all sorts of nefarious motives and such. And so this is going to be a guy on the Court of Appeals that's going to hear cases brought forth by leftists against the Republican legislature. They installed him in the seat that was held by Phil Berger Jr. Phil Berger Jr. just won a Uh, his election for a seat on the North Carolina Supreme Court. So he went from Court of Appeals to the Supreme Court, left open a vacant seat on the Court of Appeals, and so Roy Cooper, Democrat, instead of appointing a Republican to fill the vacant seat that was held by a Republican, he goes and he appoints not just a Democrat, but a Democrat lawyer who was the House Minority Leader. I'm old enough to remember when this would have been called court packing. Right. Like, I know it's been a while, but when Amy Coney Barrett was up for the confirmation and Democrats were like Donald Trump is packing the courts because the Democrats were literally saying we want to pack the courts, that we want to expand the court, the Supreme Court, but f- with more seats. And this way we can put a whole bunch of Democrats in there. To, so we'll have the majority. This is the court packing scheme that FDR first cooked up in order to get his socialist plans past the Supreme Court. They were so worried about FDR blowing up the court that they just acquiesced. They surrendered to him. That's what Democrats were actively talking about now after Trump got three appointments and to the uh, Supreme Court. And then they were like, we're not packing the court. You're packing the court because packing the court simply means putting people in there with different political uh, ideologies, different judicial philosophies. So what is this? Packing the court, guys? See, they don't really care about the argument. They care about the power. That's a wrap for this episode. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Remember, head on over to thepetecalendarshow.com and make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Think about becoming a patron as well. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 